0: Hello, this is Diane Hinchcliffe and uh, welcome to CXO Talk episode 177. Uh, and we're, um, we, we, it's Tuesday, June 21st, uh, and I'm very pleased to announce we have a very special guest joining us today, uh, Jonathan Feldman, uh, the CIO of the city of Asheville, North Carolina, one of my favorite little towns. Uh, and, um, and we're going to learn a lot more about uh, digital transformation and government. Uh, welcome, Jonathan.
1: Thank you so much, Diane.
0: Uh, and so, uh, so Jonathan, uh, why don't we get started really quickly, and uh, can you briefly tell us about uh, your IT department uh, in the City of Asheville, tell us a little bit about the City of Asheville for those that don't know about it, uh, your constituency, and a little bit about your department and about yourself as well.
1: Absolutely. So, the City of Asheville is nestled in the uh, Blue Ridge and Appalachian Mountains in Western North Carolina, and we are a huge tourist destination. Um, I appreciate the plug, Dion. I think everyone who's watching this should drop what they're doing right now and go to Asheville, North Carolina, spend lots of money, increase tax base. We like that. We also have been recognized as Beer City USA. So you may not know it, but a few popular breweries are headquartered or sorry, have expansions here, such as Sierra Nevada, as well as... Uh, Highland Brewing, and um, <clears throat> we also have New Belgium here in town. So it's, it's a very neat tourist scene. Uh, beer is manufacturing. We're excited about that. Uh, as far as the department goes, it's a department of 20 folks. We serve 1,100 employees and 85,000 citizens in the city of Asheville. During the day, the population swells to about 120,000. That's because Asheville is such an awesome place, and people love to come here and do business. They love to come here and work. And so the public safety demand, for example, is really of a city of 120,000 and not, not very much you know, the, that 85,000 number. Um, we are very, very mission-focused, Dion. That's, uh, that's what I can tell you most of all about the department. Um, when we have a management change here at the city of Asheville, which doesn't change, doesn't happen all that often, but the thing I've heard a couple of times is, I had no idea that it was possible to have an IT organization with people who are so, and, and everyone kind of stops and then they they say almost apologetically, friendly, you know. So we don't we we don't have the Dilbert no police here. Um, staff is extremely business focused. We're extremely mission focused. Um, As as far as numbers, we serve a 43-square-mile area. We cover everything from telecommunications towers for public safety radio systems to traditional finance uh, systems, HRM systems. We do a lot of different lines of business. So we do water manufacturing uh, and uh, SCADA, and um, that that covers you know the normal stuff that cities do. So just yeah. a little uh, bit. Uh,
0: more. That's quite a that's quite a purview that uh, that you've got there. Uh, and so how, about how how large is your department? How many folks are, are, are 20 servicing?
1: Folks. Twenty folks.
0: And so uh so usually when we talk to uh, CIOs uh, they've been kind of brought in at an inflection point. Something had to change or there was a, there was a change in the organization. Um, what is your specific mandate and role in the city of Asheville? What, what were you brought in originally, at least, uh, to do, to accomplish there?
1: 10 years ago, uh, IT at the city of Asheville, um, was measured to have almost the lowest customer service score of any department in the city. And, and when the legal department is beating you out, you got a problem. So that was originally my mandate. Customer service was very low, uh, Service availability was very low, and so the first part of my tenure was really riding that ship. Yeah, and so the, um, you know, the,
0: this the whole conversation today about digital experience, um, you know, uh, was that a discussion back then when you first came in uh, came on board?
1: Not at all, not at all. Uh, but you know, as as you've seen me say on Twitter, I, I really believe that operational excellence is a precursor to doing anything innovative, right? Because no one trusts you to do anything cool if you, don't, if you just don't have it together on the operational side.
0: Right, and so how was that journey over the last 10 years? Uh, now it sounds like uh, you, have, you were talking a little bit before the show and you were telling us about some of the services you've made available. Uh, how did you start making that change in the organization uh, to get people to expect it to be able to deliver on these new types of digital experiences uh, to satisfy your mission?
1: Well, I think, as I said, I, I think that innovation only comes along when you've got ops settled and when you've established a lot of credibility with a larger organization. Um, and once that was established, I think our business partners started trusting us, not, not only trusting us, Dion, but coming to us first, right? Instead of saying, hey, IT, we have this thing we want to do, Uh, is it okay if we do it in the context of your no police stuff, right? You know, no, because security and all that stuff. Instead, they come to us and say, hey, we have this idea, and how could we do it together? And sometimes we come to them with ideas and say, you know, this is going to be crazy, but what do you think?
0: Yeah, well, that's really the key. Um, you know, the the the, cha- the stance I think in the industry has really changed. That it IT has to be seen as more uh, uh, and saying, "Here's what's possible with technology. Here's how we could help your your corner of, of things." So it sounds like you're being proactive about that. Is that
1: right? Absolutely. You know, we have um, we try to integrate that introduction of new ideas along with shepherding of of existing projects. When we get together with departments we've we've got a really good proactive relationship with i would say most of the departments here at the city, but we also we also get out into the community and we do things and we hear about needs we hear about gripes we hear about um, gee, you ought to be able to do so and so better and that allows and maybe that's reactive right but we have an ex we have existing relationships that allows us to combine all that stuff into a business plan going forward. You know, metrics and all that kind of operational stuff in conjunction with what we're hearing in the community, what we're hearing from employees. We do a quarterly survey. Um, we get ideas from that as well. Yeah, no, that, that, uh, that sounds uh,
0: like you're making progress. So my question would be then, um, you know the the hot buzzword of the day is, of course, digital transformation, becoming more digitally native organizations. Right. Um, and you know what are you doing uh, in that regard that uh, either formally or informally in terms of actually digitally transforming the the services in the city of Asheville?
1: Well, you're right. Digital transformation is is a huge buzzword. When I think of what does digital mean in a government context, for me, for me, it means that citizens are able to do a lot of self-service. It means that citizens aren't frustrated by government, but they're delighted by government. So one of the things that I think has enabled us to react in a more nimble way is that we've adopted um, startup techniques to be able to meet those challenges, right? If somebody says to you, um, your existing information portal is terrible, I think the traditional IT way of approaching that would yield something that wouldn't necessarily, you know, the operation would be a success, but the patient would die. <laughs> and nowadays, I think that we've been able to take those kind of inputs and by using more rapid, development models and assessment models and learning models and iteration models. We've been able to uh, do some really neat product launches and which I'm happy to talk about if you like.
0: Well, uh, so, um, so we actually have a question from the audience. Uh, And so speaking of surgery on, on patients, what happens when uh, you have uh, folks in uh, city government that are doing their own surgery? And so we have a question from Arsalan Khan. Uh, From Twitter, uh, and he's asking, um, uh, Jonathan, when you encountered, had you encountered shadow IT, and what do you do uh, to change the mindset of your customers about it? Uh, So tell us a little bit about your attitude and your response to shadow IT, and that is, those of you watching, shadow IT's unsanctioned use of IT tools that you can get off the the internet or on your mobile device.
1: Well, I, I think you have to be like water. And what I mean by that is there's a reason that shadow IT exists. Shadow IT exists because IT is not fulfilling the need of the business unit. Yes? Yes. So I think shadow IT is a signal that IT needs to more closely engage with the customer. And I believe in my experience leads me to be pretty firm about this that when you take those shadow it ideas or or tools and you explain to folks that we need governance we need you know wrapped around that you know what you're doing is great let's talk about some scenarios and I'm not talking about this because Jonathan wants to be a control freak I'm talking about let's talk about what happens when Someone leaves the organization and they take all the files with them, right? Let's talk about what happens when someone gets terminated. And you start talking about that with smart, with savvy business managers, and they say, ooh, you know, I got a concern about that too. Can you help me? But that's not IT leading with a solution. That's IT saying – IT doesn't say no but – IT needs to say, and we have this conversation in my management team meeting, we need to say yes and. Yes. Yes. We want you to have the tools that you need. And what are we going to do, we, not not. what are you going to do about it, but what are we going to do about that? Yeah, and so this has been, you know, the the. I think
0: the great debate is that uh, you can certainly uh, bring up a lot of cases, edge cases, you brought up some of them where, you know the, the 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 outcomes, the risks are seem to be too high to allow shadow IT. Yet it's clear that as a centralized IT department, we can't possibly enable all the technological change. So how do you cut it in the middle? How do you manage? Uh, how does IT manage risk and how does it govern the, everything in the organization, but still enabling all this kind of creativity on the edge?
1: Stop thinking about shadow IT and start thinking about self-service IT and and IT governance. Right. Um, That's a great soundbite, yeah. I I mean, you know, because IT can add value, and I I say this at meetings all the time, and I had to say it a lot more at the beginning, right, because you had a lot of traditional IT folks, and it needed saying more at the beginning, right? But if IT can add value, I want us in there. If we can't, why would I want to spend taxpayer money on that?
0: Right. You keep your seat at the table. If they're not coming to you, you can't possibly guide them and say, well, you know what you're doing is almost right. But if you did this extra thing, our data would be safe. And then it would be maybe okay to do that. Right. 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 Uh, so so, that's, uh, so, so uh, I think that's a good uh, – we'll, we'll touch on, I think, uh, Shadow IT and other, uh, and other related topics here as we go along. Uh, okay. But let's get back to digital transformation and the public sector. Now, for a lot of the public sector, that means things like cloud, right? Right. Uh, but there's still a lot of things you, you, you really can't do off-premises um, and still maintain the mandate, you know, in terms of, of data security. And, and you know, certainly a lot of uh, governments handle information that, that can't pop, you know, we made the case at least now, you can't put that in the cloud. What, what else is, the, where, where else can the public sector benefit from, uh, from digital transformation?
1: Well, let, let, let's talk a little bit about what you can and what you cannot. Put in the cloud, right? And I would say to you that I believe IT has a stewardship role, not an ownership role. And I think the people who can answer the question about, can something be put into the cloud, need to be educated about what that means. And then they need to be the ones to decide. Because most of the time, and I think especially for most of the cities in the U.S., because most of them are pretty dang small, right? Not everything's New York, not everything's Raleigh, and for small municipalities, there's no way you have a security team the size of Amazon's, or as effective as Amazon's, or effective as Google's, or Microsoft's, so I think you have to Not have confirmation bias when you go into these conversations, number one. And number two, I think the customer decides. I don't think IT decides. IT has a guidance role. IT can make a recommendation. But ultimately, why is it that somebody would trust my W-2 employee to secure their data, right, using encryption, using, you know, all these things, um, versus... An Amazon employee, who's a W two employee, plus my employee, who does all the server configuration. Why is that more or less trustworthy? And I yeah. think you have to ask that question.
0: Exactly right. And so uh, when we uh, we brought you on board, uh, we realized that the city of uh, Asheville has a Twitter account and, and was in, it was very active. How much has social media been a part of the the digital transformation of the public sector? Is that, Has that changed things? Has that connected the city better to its to its citizens? Uh, 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 you know, what's the story there?
1: Our engagement efforts, right, under which I would put social media as a subset of that, but our engagement efforts, I think, have gone a long way to help us develop products and services that citizens need. And you'll hear me talk about products and services, right, because I, I'm a business school graduate. I am not a, a master of public administration, so... Sometimes that uh, it makes me a little bit of an oddball out uh, here at the city of Asheville, but i I think the concepts are very similar, and when we're talking about products and services, we're basically talking about things like uh, information portals, we're talking about better ways of doing customer service, because ultimately, If you're a city of Asheville water customer, for example, you're a captive audience, right? But we collaborate with um, every department on engagement. Our social media has been excellent in terms of letting folks know about events that affect them, whether it's weather-related and whatnot. But we supplement that with other digital technologies so you can sign up at city of Asheville to be notified if there's a, a water break in your neighborhood, for example.
0: Yeah. So, so this brings up, I think an interesting point that uh, if we touched on, you, know, you said the word portal. And when I hear that, I think, you know, yeah, I don't think of the most modern technology yeah, and, yeah. and these days, you know, uh, customer experience, Yeah. <laughs> we have to call it something, right? Right. Uh, but, yeah. but these days, um, you know, customer experience is where the customer wanted on Yes. On the channel of their choice in the application, in the digital um, uh, w- way that they want to work with you. Um, right. and, and so it seems like there's, you know, you still have to have the portal. That's the tough part. Is that there's a lot of people expecting the old things that were always there and they know how to use. But there's all these, there's the newer, uh, uh, your younger constituents that want to engage with you in different ways. You know, it's the whole omni-channel and the whole digital experience conversation and the continuum. Where, where, where are you coming in on that? Is that, is that kind of the, the next, your next horizon or, or what, how do you look at that?
1: I think, you know, we approach engagement as meeting the citizen where he or she lives. And and let me let me tell you a story, okay? So we used to have a a service called Map Asheville. And when I showed it to my octogenarian father, he looked at it and said, Johnny, I have no idea what this is, right? And he couldn't use it. It was too many bells and whistles. It looked like enterprise IT. And we put together a successor to that that was based on a lot of user experience testing. It was based on usability principles. And it was called Simplicity. And it looks and a it, lot it, it's like, actually
0: still It's actually available right now, is it? Is yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's simplicity.ashvillenc.gov. Um and when you're spelling Asheville, remember that uh, evil is in the he's middle of it. So um so when when I showed my dad that product, which you know, he said, Oh, that looks like Google, I can use that. And he's 80 years old. But I still you also you still have to remember and and our uh, our citizen and public engagement folks are, are always reminding me that, of this because I'm very, I, I'm very electronic and I like things to be electronic, but we still need to do, we still need to meet especially elderly folks where they live. And sometimes that means putting signs in yard or, you know, signs, Uh, uh planning and zoning, put signs out that talk about proposed changes because
0: they're not going to be following the the city of Asheville Twitter account, presumably, right? No. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. So this is, I think, this is the the challenge that um, that everyone has, but government probably in particular right. uh, is channel fragmentation, and that and that the customers are, are are not so much moving as they are spreading out, right? And we have to and we have to touch them wherever they are. But to getting back to what you did, the the name simplicity sounds very aspirational, and I think you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of sets an expectation. There was that really important part of 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 rolling that out.
1: Absolutely, we've been talking about simplicity as it relates to business technology for years here at uh, Asheville um, IT Services, and so when we were looking to create a successor to this Map Asheville portal, we said, well, you know, what do people really want? out of city government, and surprise, surprise, we did not attempt to answer that question. We went out and we went to coffee shops and we went uh, to meetings and, and that kind of thing, and we asked people what they wanted. And as it turns out, people want answers to their questions. They don't actually want data, right? We, we, we did a lot with the open data movement back mm-hmm. in the day. And we were one of the first cities in uh, the Southeast to have an open data portal. And that's all very interesting because it automates public records that are open anyway, right? And it it takes a lot of manual effort out of the equation, and it makes it self-service. And that's great, except what most people want is an answer to their question, not mm. a big gob of data.
0: Yeah, they they want outcomes, right? Um in terms of, I mean, we'll get to the open data question before we're done here, because uh, I think that's been a very exciting development, uh, but doesn't it enable kind of an intermediate layer of, of developers and startups to say, hey, we can build other services that we can monetize on top of that data? Isn't that what happens? Or Not so yeah. much. I mean, some citizens will use data, of course, but uh, you know, I think it's we're seeing this broadly with things like hackathons that IT departments are looking for new ways to empower creativity, oh, sure. Can't do everything myself. Uh maybe I can help other people do it, you know.
1: Right. And we've we have sponsored hackathons. We have participated in hackathons. Um back in the day when when some folks were shaking their heads and saying, What City IT doing having a you know, having a conference or having a, you know, whatever. You guys don't belong in the public. Well, as it turns out we do, you know, not all the time, not every day, but uh, to get some objectives accomplished, we do have to interact with the public. And that, that was a huge change of thinking. Um, and I'll, I'll just sidebar that by saying we have a visionary uh, CEO, city manager, who understood that for us to start focusing on public technology and public engagement, we had to reorganize around that. So we we did that.
0: Well, that, so that's a really significant move. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of organizations saying, how do I structure myself? How do I organize what we do to be more digital? And so there's all these arguments about, you know, the CMO and the CDO, the chief digital officer. There's another CDO, chief data officer, which I'm noticing in a lot of companies right. now. And the CIO, we're all supposed to be doing these digital things. Um, what decisions did you make? I mean, how did you decide how to structure uh, yourselves for the next generation of digital?
1: So, I, you know, first of all, I think that when you need a chief anything, it, it's just a sign that it's not getting done, right? I mean, when you have a chief security officer, maybe that means that security is good. Maybe it doesn't. But it, it means that someone is placing a huge emphasis on it, right? Mm-hmm. And if data was being handled appropriately, maybe you wouldn't need a CDO. Well, data, it's, a, it's
0: a place, the C-level is the place where the buck stops, right? You know, right. There's- I've had to find somebody who's responsible for this. I know who they are, right? And we can make that change if we need to.
1: Right. So um, as far as how we structured, I feel very strongly that public technology is a major component of what we are responsible for as government technologists. I think you've seen that at the federal level with, uh, I think it's called 18F, with- Uh, digital core in the in the UK. There was uh, you know an office of digital transformation in the UK, and I think they were pretty successful with yeah, that. Yeah, well,
0: there's a number of the uh, UK government. I think has been very advanced in the way that they yes. look at digital and some of the reports and the work that they've been doing. Absolutely, is great. Uh, but, has, has that been an inspiration to
1: for you absolutely. at all? It sounds like it has. Absolutely, but you know, fundamentally, if you want to get digital in government, I think there's two things that have to happen, right? Number one, you've got to, you, you can't go digital without digital employees, right? And, and that means people who are familiar with what digital natives want. Um, and I think the other thing that, that is a must is that you can't do business in the same way. You can't expect that you're going to be organized around keeping the servers running, or you know we exist to be the priests of the database, and expect that you're going to be customer focused because that's what has to happen first.
0: You yeah, so, well, you it's it really it's, it's uh, yeah. people. It's all about people. Whether that's your customers or that yeah. those are the pe- workers inside your organization. The hardest part about digital transformation is changing people. Technology, ironically, is actually simpler, right? So, so we're about to halfway through uh, this episode, episode 177 of CXO Talk. Uh, we've got uh, Jonathan Feldman, the CIO of the city of Asheville, who has kindly joined us today to tell us about digital transformation and government. Uh, for those of you watching, we would love to take your questions uh, on Twitter. If you uh, will mention the CXO Talk hashtag, that's CXO Talk. Uh, or the CXO Talk account, either one. Um, we'll get your questions, and we'd love to answer them. Um, uh, and so, Jonathan, uh, let's uh, let's let's move on to the, the I think the next exciting topic, one that's personally interesting for you. Uh, and uh, it's my understanding you're a proponent and an active participant in startup culture. And I was wondering what the connection between startup culture and city government is. I've seen this in Europe a lot, uh, where they actually give over a lot of space in the IT department, to let the startups come in and do interesting things. But you know, what are you guys doing?
1: So we have a very active relationship with, um, first of all, for, with Code for America. And if you're not familiar with Code for America, they're a not-for-profit uh, headquartered in Silicon Valley. And they started out with a program that was very much Peace Corps for geeks. And they would have, you know, best and brightest of Silicon Valley volunteer with a stipend, a year of their time, to make government better. And it was everyone from marketers to programmers to um, folks who were you know, civic civically minded, civically motivated. And it, by all counts, it's a very successful program. So we have a great relationship with them. We love them. Um, they are doing amazing work. Um, and part of what they do and part of what we modeled ourselves on is that they're very startup friendly because the, the core of a startup is offering a value proposition. The core of a startup is disrupting something. And, you know, I'm fond of saying to staff, we got to get on the bus or we're going to be run over by the bus. <laughs> and it's so true about any kind of disruption. You know, if you adopt it and and you, as I said, be like water, right? Whether it's shadow IT or or any kind of disruption, right? Shadow IT could be considered a disruption, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And absolutely. Well I, I, well, I think it is. It's the canary in the coal mine, right? And you right. know, the, the numbers are really startling. You know, ten percent of IT was shadow IT in the year two thousand. You know, five years ago it was uh, about twenty five percent. Now it's closing in on thirty thirty five percent. Pretty it's soon it's most of IT. Most of IT. Now most it's edge IT, of course. So that's very interesting. So you kind of answered my next question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of phrase it just to make it clear anyway. Sure. Um, and so is local government at risk for disruption today? Is that oh absolutely yeah, it sounds like
1: you already believe that. I, I do believe that because I you know we see it all the time. Um, social media changed the conversation between I mean, we know this at a national level, right? If you look at presidential elections uh, last couple of cycles and this cycle, um, delete your account. Yes, exactly. I, right? I mean, it, it's, that was the news of the day. And that is no less true in local government. You just don't hear about it. But, you know, we do working inside government. So disruption is not only coming, it's here. And local government. And where, is
0: it to, where is it going to come from? I mean, what, what sort of things are you seeing the, uh, the private sector maybe competing with you on or other things that are actively disrupting that, that maybe that folks outside of government like ourselves haven't heard of?
1: So a, a great example is open data. I think that those municipalities who have not gotten on the bus have, have if not run over by the bus, have at least had a near miss with the bus. Because what ends up happening is you have uh, civic technologists collect your data for you, and then they draw conclusions that you might not—that might not be accurate. But if you cooperate with the open data movement and you say, "Great, we love transparency, and here it is, and we would love for you to help us solve a problem," it changes the conversation.
0: No, it really does. And, I, and, I, and what I've noticed is that when uh, I've been at a few city government events where uh, some of the counties have open data initiatives and, and a few others don't. And when they come together and see what the other counties have done, their success stories, all the very innovative things that have, that have come about. Um, I, when, uh, one city had, had published all of their data about which sidewalks were wheelchair compatible. Right. And, and then people who visited the city, like somebody had built an app so you could, you could navigate the city, making sure you could go only in places where you could actually travel. Right. That's right. And that, and opened up tourism opportunities for a whole new community of people. And the counties that didn't have open data didn't have any stories like that. That's
1: right. That's right. I mean, and it, you know, it's it, sort of in a sharing economy kind of way. Um, not everything that's made available to citizens is on the backs of taxpayers. And I'll give you an example. If you go to avlbudget.org, it's a beautiful graphical, you know, I want to say Web 2.0, but that'll make me sound really old. But it's, it's, a, it's a nice and modern app that shows you um, how city dollars are being spent in this heat map, and it's really user-friendly. And the city of Asheville didn't actually code that. We just made the data available to a bunch of civic technologists and hackers and people who are interested in it, and they coded it, not us.
0: Yeah, well, that seems to be the pattern, right? Is that, that, that we have to let the network do the work, but you have to give them the raw resources to do that. Um, and, and so what what are the, in your experience, uh, you know, the CIO of the city of Asheville now for a decade, um, what are the best targets for digital transformation? If, uh, you, you saw a public sector uh, CIO coming in right now. Where do you think the opportunity is most likely to lie that they haven't maybe already been done yet?
1: That's an interesting question, Dion. Um, you know... I think the problem is that IT is so very broken in so very many places, and I think the danger is flying in and saying day one we are we're we're, we're going digital. I, <laughs> I think that would be arrogant because I think there's so many and things.
0: And it'd be uninformative, but it's day one, right? I mean, that's the thing. Say it again. It certainly would be uninformed, too, if it's day one, right? You know, right. You, would want, you would want to learn, uh, not just the knee-jerk reaction. So, yeah, exactly.
1: Right. So, so don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that, you know, we would ignore the mission imperative. But what we would do, see, that's our, that's our excellent energy conservation <laughs> kicking in. I'm not moving enough around here. Um, so I'm not saying you wouldn't do anything, right? Because, of course, you have to do something. But it would it would likely be pretty bite sized it would
0: likely be you want a quick win right i mean that's uh, okay, you know right. you're, in 100 days you know you have got to make right. some kind of uh, a visible change for, exactly
1: for i'll give you a, i'll give you a great example we were um we were recruiting for a programmer analyst and we really wanted uh you know, some design skills, and we really wanted, you know, various things, and our business and public technology managers an awesome guys named Scott Barnwell, and he's so civic-minded, and he's so mission-focused, and he had his ear to the ground, and knew that city council was working on a graffiti initiative, so what did he do? He asked all of the job candidates in a very, you know, 2014-2015 kind of way, here's an exercise, do it in the cloud, uh, make, you know, make an app. And so we ended up hiring somebody, you know, based upon that work. I love that method of hiring, by the way, but we can talk about it if you want. Um, the end result was we had this sort of skeletal prototype app in place and not two weeks after this fellow got hired, City Council said, we really need an app to do that. And so the result was this this app that was around for a year or two. And it it fulfilled the function, but it was all hosted in Amazon. And it didn't require big IT or server space or anything like that. So I think if you're going to be effective day one, rent, don't buy, right? And that means cloud.
0: Yeah, well, we saw that certainly one of the best case studies out there right now is the Federal Communications Commission. Their CIO, David Bray, uh, yeah, yeah, he 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 forklifted virtually all of their existing applications out to the cloud in in just one year. Something that most people would think is impossible, right? Right. But you know, but you know, he's tapping into the power of his organization. Uh, But so let's go back to that because you know I see that you know I track a lot of the industry data, and now most of it is lining up with around 2017 or 2018 public cloud will be the primary form of IT. If you look at all the workloads, all the on-premises workloads and all right. the off workloads, public cloud is at last going to be bigger. It's going to be the majority of IT out there. I don't disagree. Uh, that's, a, that's a big change. But if you plot that curve forward three or four more years, it's virtually all of IT, right? I mean, we're seeing the hollowing out of the data center. Um, do you think it's going to go that far with public sector? I mean, you know, um, you know, Michael Krigsman, you know, founder of the show, and I have talked about um, with Casey Coleman. You know, she was in charge of the GSA, uh, their IT department. She said, like, "Cloud is it." You know, so I mean, the, the vision is there, but what's really going to happen? What do you think is going to take place?
1: So I think that if you are mid-sized to large, you're probably going to be mostly, you're probably going to be mostly in the cloud, right? If you are super size, if you're GM and you're Randy Mott and you can decide that you're going to insource everything and that you know the cloud is not where you're going but you have the resources to have a national footprint and have as many data centers as it takes, I think you have an option I don't happen to agree with that option and that's not what I would do at that scale well, yeah
0: I think the, the biggest biggest players could do it take the Amazon route and say they'll onboard it. Additional people to get the economies of scale. They'll say, well, "You can use our unused cloud capacity, right?" Right. Uh, and 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 there's, but most people can't do that. But the government's big enough to do that, right? Right. So you know, certainly the federal government is big enough to really get into that business, but doesn't seem to be showing any interest in doing that. But I don't think we've seen the end of that story. Um, I know I'm, I'm based out of Washington, D.C., and so I'm very familiar with the you know, public sector issues. Yeah. Now, the intelligence community is never going to go there. There's 17 yeah. agencies, right?
1: No, that's um, exactly right. So,
0: but I say never, never is a long, long time. All right. So, you know. Never is a long, long
1: time. And when you're operating at the scale of the federal government, you get to have conversations with Amazon.
0: Yes. With Jeff, personally. Oh, yes.
1: Oh, yes. So who knows what's going on in terms of, you know, the the GovCloud having a GovCIA secret component. You know, we're never going to yeah. that.
0: Yeah, well, um, so it, I think we've got to see the other shoe will drop. But uh, I think the public sector and cloud is an inevitability. I just think it's going to take longer. Um, right. And,
1: and In government, I think you're really going to have to start, especially with CFOs and mm-hmm. chief executives who are – very familiar. They're cloud natives. You're going to really have to have an almost airtight business case to prove that you should be spending that much more on internal resourcing because it's a lot more expensive than I think traditional IT folks realize. We really haven't had the data. I mean. until recently, now it looks like cloud
0: IT is about, if you, if you take into account all the costs, all the people it takes to run your data center, and all the power, and right. all the, the floor space, and all the maintenance and upgrades, and in the total cost, cloud is about half the cost on average, right? I think it's yeah. about 52, 53%. I think that's PwC data. Um, you better have an airtight case to say, well, I want to spend twice as much. Uh, and, and it has competitive implications for companies. You know, um, you, uh, you have a lot of IT in your company. And you're going to pay twice as much, it's not going to work. But that takes us back to the public sector, which is a very different environment. It doesn't have the competitive pressures that private sector companies do. Right. You know, you're going to get your tax revenue. You're going to get your payments from your citizens no matter what. What's the imperative to do these things uh, when you don't really have the you know competitive pressure? There's not, there's not two cities, governments of Asheville competing against each other. There's just one.
1: I think it's a lot about fiscal responsibility. And I think it's a lot about uh, what the governing board brings to bear in terms of expertise and in terms of business savvy, uh, which means business technology savvy. I just don't think you're going to be able to, you know, instead of competitiveness in the government environment, you start thinking of it as trade-offs. Would you rather have, you know, six more patrol cars and five more police officers, or would you rather... Do totally in-sourced IT? I know what I would pick. Yeah, right. But
0: I mean, isn't there in fact a competitive implication? I don't. When businesses look to move to North Carolina, they look at I could go to Asheville, which is really mm-hmm. cool and quirky, or I could go to Raleigh, which is a bigger city and offer me a bigger customer base. Right. Uh, and and they're, they're going to look at all right. So how well is this government going to support my business? Uh, doesn't that happen?
1: Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm involved in a uh, broadband effort to. Uh, Ramp up some of the broadband presence here in Western North Carolina. Although we are very blessed with a tremendous amount of fiber here, but you know we're not Kansas City, we're not Chattanooga uh, by any stretch in terms of offering gigabit to the home uh, through commercial providers. So that's on the radar of our decision makers, and and it is a competitive factor. We talk about site selection a lot, Uh, New Belgium and Sierra Nevada. Did not select us, um, you know, solely based on one factor, right? It had to do with quality water, it had to do with uh, logistics and access to highways. But, you know, when I talked to our economic development director, he says, oh, yeah, broadband and, you know, access to to multi-path broadband is really important to them as well. Yeah, right. So um, uh,
0: so we have a few minutes left, um, and so we wanted to ask you a, a couple uh, more questions. I think we should wrap wrap up on, I think, a topic that you're very passionate about, and that's usability. Sure. Uh, and, you know, you, uh, evidently you had a lot of the vision around the Simplicity portal um, and, and some of the things that you did there. Can you kind of give us your point of view on how governments can make their IT services more usable, the process that you use and what you'd
1: recommend? I think usability starts on customer focus. I think if you're not um, if you're not hiring for customer focus in IT, you're doing it wrong, and perhaps you should be running a data center instead. So I think it starts there, because if you don't have staff that is passionate about making sure the customer is okay, you can throw the rest of usability out the window. But there are um, there there have just been some amazing aha moments when we started focusing on usability, I'll give you a quick example. There was one website that um, I won't name the department had, you know, had been uh, brought to a service bureau, which is cool. I love selective outsourcing, right? We don't need to do, we don't need to be everything to everybody. We need to have core competencies and then we need to go to the marketplace for other things. But they brought back this website and because of that trust and the credibility that I described earlier, they came to us and said, well, what do you think? How'd they do? And two of the folks who had really been studying up on usability looked at it and said, well, we're not going to judge that. Why don't we run some usability tests? And so they did, and they just watched people try to achieve these goals on this, you know, brand spanking new, really fancy website. And when I say achieve goals, I mean find information that you need, uh, get what you want, those kinds of things. You know, the reason why you go to a website. And it took people – it was taking people 15 minutes to find what they wanted to achieve these goals. Yeah, with a lot of user abandonment along the way. So, yeah, yeah it was right.
0: inspiring to see what you, what you have done there and, and you have concrete examples uh, that you could point to. So,
1: Absolutely. And so that
0: brings us to the end of uh, a successful – Episode of um, CXO Talk. Um, I'd like to thank our very special guest, uh, Jonathan Feldman, the CIO of the City of Asheville, for for joining us. Um, and uh, we have, uh, I think, uh, a couple more shows this week. You can go to cxo dot com uh, and and see what uh, what we have on tap. Um, and uh, uh, so, thanks, Jonathan, again for joining us. And
1: my pleasure.